No mess. You did good. You did good. Uh, well, good morning. We're in the middle of a, of a series. We're just in our third week working through. We've been talking about uh, how God wants to come and change our attitude and our, and our thinking. And, and that really, this should be the, the natural path for every Christian, that, that as you become a Christian and as you tie yourself more and more securely to Jesus and more and more securely to, to what he proposes and what he suggests, that you'll start to see some changes in your life. If you're married to someone who becomes a Christian, or if you have a, a Christian in your house, maybe you're a, 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 it wouldn't matter who it's a parent or a kid, and you're in the same house together and that person becomes a Christian, you should gradually see some changes. And they won't be immediate changes. I mean, they won't be. I, uh, you might get baptized and still get in a fight with the wife on the way home. You might... You might um, be a Christian for several years, in fact, and still slip up and, and do something. Where'd that come from? And you won't know, but, but you should, in general, see some, some small changes. That's part of being a Christian, and as we tie ourselves to Jesus more and more, um, we should see that. And we've kind of, I've kind of chosen as a, as, a, as a mascot for this whole sermon, the chameleon. You know, a chameleon, uh, when it's surrounded in a certain environment, can take on that environment. And so it's been our, our push for you guys that as you're tying yourself more and more to Jesus, as you're tying yourself more and more to, to him, both in terms of reading about him and, and in terms of praying and, and in terms of being in small groups, hopefully uh, you'll start seeing some changes that way. And you'll start seeing some movement that way. And you'll start seeing yourself become more like him, you know, just like a, just like a chameleon. One of the things that, that chameleons do, of course, is, is that they can take on the appearance of, of, of wherever they're at, and they can use it to camouflage. That's not the main agenda for the chameleon. They, they change their skin for lots of reasons, but, but they can change it to camouflage. And we've talked about how sometimes people do that, that you could be here, but then when you go someplace else, you start taking on the language and the attitudes and, and the actions of the people you're around. And so somebody at your work might have no idea that you're a Christian. Because when you're there, you wear that kind of skin. And when you're here, you wear something else. And so we don't want to make the chameleon completely what we're about. You know, that this is just something you do on Sunday or just something you do to show off when you're surrounded by other spiritual people. But we're hoping that it can be something that kind of gets into a person. And that you start thinking different. And that you start acting different. And, and, and that the longer you're with him, you start feeling his presence in your heart. That, that, that should be a common thing. And I'm afraid too often that it's not. I'm afraid too often that as Christians, we just will say to other people, well, that's just how I am. If you don't like it, then, you know, that's, that's your problem because it's just who I am. And, and that was never really what the gospel was about. One of the riddles with chame chameleons, they say, well, what happens if you put a chameleon in front of a mirror? Would the chameleon in front of the mirror, would he just, would he know what to do then? And, uh, and they've done that. And uh, chameleons don't do well in front of mirrors. Uh, there's actually a test you can do to animals, and uh, it's, it's called the mirror test, and, and they, they've done it like in studies and stuff. They'll put an animal to sleep, and they'll put a red spot on them someplace that's unusual, and then when the animal wakes up, if they react to the spot by touching themselves or by adjusting their bodies so they can see it better in the mirror, then you know that animal is aware that he's looking at himself in the mirror. The animal's aware then that he's seeing himself because he'll, he, he will adjust to it. And chameleons uh, don't do well in the, in the mirror test. If a, if a male chameleon sees another male chameleon, chameleon 
Uh, he thinks it's a, it's, it's a threat. It's like some other chameleons on my turf now, and he'll swell up great big, and he'll turn bright red and, and uh, on purpose try to intimidate the other chameleon. And then when he sees the other chameleon also swell up and turn bright red, well, then it just gets out of control, and chameleons don't do very well in, in that sort of a test. Uh, the chameleons, uh, compared to, say, a dolphin or, or, a, or a gorilla or even a really smart dog, chameleons are not very self-aware. A uh, chameleon doesn't really aware, doesn't really think uh, deeply about himself and his feelings. Chameleons very rarely will say to one another, I just need to find myself. Chameleons hardly ever do that. And, 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 and chameleons, just by, by their very uh, character and nature, uh, they don't think about themselves. They just react. Okay, well, that also is something I kind of wanted to talk about because I think sometimes as people, we're not very aware of ourselves. We don't realize that we have certain things that maybe are or a little unseemly or untasteful to other people. And, 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 and if, even if we did become aware of that, like maybe I'm angry sometimes when I shouldn't be, or I've, you know, I let my eyes wander, or I, I say some things I wish I hadn't said, or whatever it is. Well, well there's reasons. You know, there's reasons why I did that. I shouldn't have done that, but you've got to understand all the reasons. You know? And we excuse ourselves, and we pretend like it's not that big a deal. We pretend like we don't have those problems. We pretend like we don't totally understand. And, uh, and I want to get away from that too. Because again, uh, the verse we've been looking at the whole time, the Spirit wants to change your thinking and your attitude. And, and step one in having your thinking and your attitude change is just being aware of, of the depth of the problem. Being aware of maybe parts of your life that need to, to really take a hard look at. Parts of your life maybe that really need to be examined. Now, last week we looked at patience, and I would think for a lot of Americans, patience is an area that most, of, most people struggle with. We live in a very, very impatient culture, and everybody's rushing as hard as they can, and if you go watch out, you can get caught up in that. And this week, partly because Thanksgiving is coming right up, I wanted to look at gratitude. And as a culture, we live in a pretty ungrateful, a pretty ungrateful culture. And uh, it's weird. It's gratitude more than patience is a weird one. Most people will say they appreciate that sort of thing. Most people will make a somewhat honest effort to appear grateful about things. But I think we still struggle with it. I think most people really resist the idea that they need to give extra honor or respect to anybody uh, more than themselves. It's a weird thing. As an illustration of it, a couple of years ago, well, several years ago now, he was still president. President Obama uh, made a speech, and in the speech, he was trying to challenge people to be more appreciative of what the government might have provided. You know, the government has built roads, or the government has, has created infrastructure, the government has done certain things. And in the speech, he said, you know, if you are a successful businessman, or if you are successful at one thing or another, you didn't build that. And his point that he was trying to make was that somebody helped you along the way. And even if you can't think of one particular person who helped you, you had the good fortune to be born in this country, which has so many freedoms and so many opportunities and, and so much wealth. Uh, you didn't build it. And you would think in the big scheme of things, that wouldn't be that controversial a thing to toss out. But it was. Boy, he got smacked around for it. Got smacked around for it for two or three years. How dare you think that I didn't do all that? How dare you think I owe anybody any appreciation at all for, for what all the stuff I've done? I built this completely by myself, and I can't believe you'd even think anything else. And I know that he was trying to make a bigger point, and maybe the bigger point is what people really took issue with. It wasn't that one statement really at all, but it was the one statement that became a thing. And there's something in us that resists that notion. Well, I don't owe anybody anything. 
I did everything myself. And, and uh, I think the Spirit wants to change that. I think God wants to get into your heart and, and change that part of you. I think we, were, we, we do better when we're grateful. We do better when we show appreciation. We do better when we give credit. Another president, I got a quote here, said this. He said, we have grown in our numbers and our wealth and our power as no other nation ever has grown. But we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand that has preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. It's very easy to start to believe that somehow uh, you did everything by yourself. You know, you think about why couples split up or why people walk off mad from a job or, or why people get disaffected as citizens. And a lot of times it just comes down to a lack of gratitude. All you can see is what you don't have. And you can't keep your eyes at all with any appreciation on the good things that are going your way. There's a psychologist named Robert Emmons. He's at the University of Southern California. He's done a lot of studies on this. And all of his studies kind of produce the same results. That, that when a person develops habits of gratitude, they, generally speaking, are more happy than people who don't. And I would think you'd probably know that already. But, 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 but you can measure it. As a person who is, who is who's extra attentive to showing gratitude, those people tend to be happier, and not just happier, but healthier. They, they, they tend to have a lower body mass index. They, they tend not to need extra affirmation or approval. They do very well in teams. A child, of course, doesn't have that, but we hope as an adult, as we grow up, that we're not really just focused on ourselves, that we're able to show appreciation and honor and respect. And again, there's real evidence that if you do that, it makes you a better person. There's a guy named Martin uh, Seligman, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Martin Seligman from the University of Pennsylvania. He did an experiment where he, he challenged people to write a letter of gratitude to somebody who had made a big difference in your life and just tell them thank you for the things they had done. And it can be a great, great, great big difference or a small difference. It didn't really matter. That's not really the issue. Just you say thank you. They helped you, and you, and you just want to say thank you for what they did. And write them a letter and send that to them. And they did a test with that. They found that people who wrote those letters were happier, that they, they had a more of a sense of well-being, and that those benefits of that lasted as long as a month. Just writing one letter could, could change a person's outlook for a whole month in this test at University of Pennsylvania. One other test from the University of Pennsylvania from the Wharton School, they did a, a test with coworkers and bosses. And in one group, the boss told the guys to get to work. In the other group, the boss talked to each employee separately before the day and told them thank you for something they were doing well. They found with the group that got thanks, they were 50% more productive. Now when I read that one, I gotta be honest, it was hard to believe. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, I mean, some of you guys work in hard jobs that you're not getting a lot of appreciation, right? I, I would bet most of you are working in jobs where the boss very rarely pulls you to the side and says, hey, just want to say before you start, you're awesome. That probably doesn't happen for most of you guys in most of your work. Anybody get that treatment? Okay. Uh, just Gabe. He hears that from me. <laughs> He's the only one. Okay. Uh, but for the rest of you... Well, well, see, now I don't believe it for the productivity thing. Now I, I look back and I, anyway, so, okay, but, but having said that, you're probably not thinking, 
Well, well, that's the reason. I would be much more productive if only I just got told every once in a while. But when they did this test, it was, it was just over and over again the truth. that it, just, just the act of saying thank you. And again, don't lie. Don't make something up. I mean, don't invent something. If you don't really notice it, then don't lie. But, but if you see something that they're doing well, hey, I just want to say thank you. Really appreciate that. That there's something about hearing that that just unlocks something in us. And when you think about, when you think about a marriage that's in some trouble, you know, uh, husband and wife aren't really talking. There's some real division, some real, a lot of silent treatment, or maybe a lot of arguing. You know, wh- what kind of a difference would it make if, if you just on purpose tried that? You know, every day I'm going to find something and I'm going to say something positive. And there'll be no strings attached to it. Like, uh, hey, I noticed that you really did good on that. And, and you're not going to just say it and then hope they say something back. You're just going to toss it out there and leave it. They don't have to respond. They don't have to answer it. They don't have to do something to pay it back. You know, uh, what would that do in a marriage in trouble? What, what would that do in an office? You know, and again, you, you could be fake about it in a way that everybody knew you were being fake. But I mean, just trying to be sincere not going on and on, just find one thing. What would that do to, a, you know, a parents having trouble with their teenager and, and they're just, they can't communicate and they're trying to communicate, but neither of them really enjoy talking at this point anymore. Neither the parent nor the kid. It just seems like every time we talk, it's an argument. What, what would that do if you just tried to work that in? Well, that would be stupid, you think. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what? again, maybe the other person says, oh, you're only doing this to get on my good side. Well, okay admit that yeah that's that's my reason that's why I'm doing it try to get on your good side but I mean but I mean what kind of power does that have and I mean even on 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 like university studies and they're not trying to prove a Christian truth they're finding over and over and over again there's great power in just being grateful that it changes your mental makeup but it also it also affects other people uh, Paul, of course, the Bible is replete with, with all sorts of different examples of this, but my favorite one on giving thanks is, is this one. Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, when I was a youth minister, it was common to have a, a high school junior or senior or maybe somebody who had graduated a few years, but, you know, and they're still in their late teens, early 20s, and, and we would talk about, do you think it's God's will that I date this person or that I marry this person or that I go to this school or that I take this job? Do you think God wants me to enlist or do you think God wants me to move or do, what, what do you think God's will is for me? And, you know, honestly, as a guy now who's, who's in his 50s, I, I know that there's a handful, maybe four or five or six decisions you, a lot of people make in their 20s that can really affect every other decision the rest of your life. They're, they're gigantic decisions. And I, and I appreciate when you're in your 20s wanting to get those decisions right because they can be so significant. But, but, but when the Bible talks about God's will, it's much more likely to talk about God's will in this way. It's not so much about the choice you make, but how you approach everything. It's not so much about where you're at, but what you're like while you're there. Um, you can't always control every other aspect of your life. Sometimes people you count on are going to let you down. Sometimes things you're, you're a part of are going to go south. I mean, you're, not everybody can be on the winning team all the time. That's just the nature of the game. But, but no matter where you're at, when you start adopting these kinds of things, that's God's will for you. So when it talks about like rejoicing always, it's not saying just pretend like you're happy all the time, but it is at some level saying, I'm going to have a positive attitude. I'm just on purpose going to, 
to, to try to look for the best parts. When it says to pray continually, it doesn't mean you're on your knees all day long, but it just means you're constantly thinking about God and what God might be up to in this situation. When it talks about giving thanks in all circumstances, it doesn't mean you're thankful for all the circumstances. You don't have to be thankful for cancer. You don't have to be thankful for unemployment. But no matter what you're going through, you're grateful that God still got you. For, for, for miracle of miracles, you got up this morning and you're still breathing. And you can still do things, and, and, and the whole world is in front of you. And there's a lot of things that could knock you down today, but God is still on your side, and God still listens to your prayers. And this cross behind me tells me that, 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 that God died for me, that he gave me everything, that God has never for one moment quit worrying about me. And so in the middle of all circumstances, I can give God's thanks. And, and, and this is his will for me. This is the kind of person that he's hoping that I become. That it doesn't really matter what happens to me. My, my mood and my disposition don't depend on anybody but, but him and, and my, my connection with him. And as long as he and I are good, well, what can this world do to me? If he and I are good, then I'm more than conquerors in his, in his name. Jesus uh, has a conversation uh, with a... Uh, with some people. There's a story that he's on his way to uh, Jerusalem, and as he's on his way on the border there between Samaria and Galilee, he sees 10 men who had leprosy. And, and a lot of you know these things already. We talk about these things sometimes in the story, but just in case anybody's not heard, leprosy, of course, was the scariest disease of, of that era. Everybody was terrified. There's no cure for it that they knew about. I mean, there was no way to get over it. If you got leprosy, uh, you were supposed, and it was contagious. So people who had leprosy were supposed to dress in rags so everybody could see from a long distance uh, that you were dressed different. And, and if somebody got within your orbit, you know, that, that, that did not have leprosy, you were supposed to put your hand over your mouth or cover your, your mouth with some sort of a rag and, and yell out, unclean, unclean. And, uh, and warn people. So when you got leprosy, your marriage was effectively over, unless your spouse had leprosy too. When you got leprosy, you could never hold your children again. You couldn't work. You couldn't really even beg. I mean, because you can't get close to people. I mean, you'd, be, you'd, you'd have to steal and, and uh, go into fields at night when nobody was there and take food. You'd have to hope people would just leave food out for you. I mean, it was just, it was fantastically lonely, fantastically, and it was done because there's no cure for it, and it's contagious, and everybody was scared. You know, we live in one of the richest countries in the history of the world. Look at what a disease that we didn't know there was a cure for that was highly contagious. Look what that did to us for two years, and then imagine what it would have done to that culture, right? I mean, they were terrified of people who had leprosy. I mean, just completely afraid, completely scared, and if you had leprosy, you were to stay as far away as you could. And Jesus sees these guys. And so they call out to him from a distance. They don't get close, but they call out from a distance, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And so Jesus sees them and he says, go show yourself to the priest. Now in that day, again, it's more Old Testament rules than anything else. If the only way to get out of that that prison, basically, that you're in your whole life, where you've got to stay away from folks and cover your mouth and unclean, unclean, the only way out of that is if for some crazy reason you just got better. It hardly ever happened, but it could. And if for some crazy reason, like you had a, the leprosy on your arm and then one day it's, it's gone, 
or it's really fading, you could go to the priest and say, hey, I don't think I had leprosy. I had something else. I, th I thought it was leprosy, but look, it's getting better. And leprosy doesn't get better, but look, this is getting better. And the priest would look at it. And if he, saw, if he agreed with you, then you're fine. You're back in, you go right back into the community. And so Jesus tells these guys, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they got better. So when he told them, go show yourself to the priest, they looked down and they still had leprosy. You know, they looked at their legs or wherever, and it was still there. They could feel it on their faces. Go straight to the priest. But they went anyway. Jesus says he's going to heal us. We trust him. We're going to go. And as they went, they were cleansed. Well, one of the guys, uh, when he saw that he was healed, came back, and he's praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And it mentions the Samaritan thing because a lot of Jewish people uh, thought the Samaritans were good for nothing. They could never be good people. They were, they were a religious mess. And here's this guy who's a religious mess, but he knows enough to say thank you. He knows enough to say thank you. And Jesus asked, where's the other guys? Didn't, didn't we heal 10? Is, was there nobody else to come back except for this guy? And he's a foreigner. He doesn't know any. You know, all, you, all the other guys had the, the, the scriptures and they knew what the, but here's the guy who had none of that. And he knows enough to say thank you. And he said to him, Jesus said to the Samaritan, he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now he's not saying you're the only one healed of leprosy. They're all healed of leprosy. And it's, it, again, I don't want to be too tough on the other nine guys here because it really was, a, 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 it was the worst. And as these guys are going to the priest, they look down, they see they're healed, they can go hug their wife again. They can go hold their children again. They could go to church again. They can work again. They, I mean, they, they, they could have friends again. I mean, there were people who, who for, for years hadn't talked to them. And again, you know, we had just, just a, such a small, itty-bitty taste of that over the last couple of years with COVID, you know, where we couldn't go to certain funerals or we couldn't go. We had to wear masks and there were, there were rules. I mean, for these guys, they, they, they had spent years isolated. And, and, and not just a little isolation, but fantastic isolation. And if, and if you could all of a sudden go do whatever, we, we know what that feels like, right? When, when everybody started dropping the regulations, I mean, some people, as soon as they could, they went to a restaurant, or as soon as they could, they went to the movies, or as soon as they could, they wanted to go where the crowds were again. I mean, you know what that would feel like. And so nine of the ten guys, they just want to get back to their lives. But this one guy, it's like, God, you're so good to me. I, I, mean, I didn't deserve this at all. And I'm sure the other guys felt it, but they were just so caught in the moment they forgot. And again, I see myself in those other nine guys. I mean, I'm just so caught up in, I don't have time to pray about it. When life is good, I just want to go live life. I don't want to pray about it. You know, the very most immature prayers, of course, are the prayers where you're asking God to do something for you. God, help me. God, fix this. God, make this person straighten up. God, work, work, work. And the better prayers, the higher prayers are thanking God for all the things he's already done. It shows your faith. And this one guy gets it. Not everybody does, but, but this one guy gets it. And that impresses Jesus. It really blows him away. It makes me want to be better at it. And so I was trying to think about what kinds of things could we do if we wanted to get better at showing gratitude. And there's a couple things. The first one and this whole sermon series, the first point is always going to be, you want to get better at knowing God. The closer you get to God, the easier it's going to be to show gratitude, because you're going to realize he's done everything. 
the closer you get to God, the, the more you're going you're gonna, to, it's going to be natural and easy for you to want to praise, for you to want to pray, for you to want to say thank you. It's just, it's just part of it. When I realize all the different things God has done for me, my heart fills up. And I, and I just have to express that somehow. I just can't hold it back. When I think about all the different ways that he loves me. And, and, and so I, I, I want to express that. And, and so it's always step number one. Uh, you, you, an English professor, uh, 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 I heard him say that if, uh, when you read a book like Hemingway or Mark Twain or whatever, you take some of the author into you, right? So I want to take some of God into me, so I read his word. And as I read his, the scriptures there, I, I catch a little bit of his worldview. I start to see the world like God sees it. As I read how Jesus acts, I start to think about it the way that he thinks about it. And Jesus was always grateful, and Jesus always prized gratitude. And so maybe I start to see that in my own life as well. I learned to pray more that way too. I learned to thank God for all the blessings. I've got a friend who's a psychiatrist, and one of the things that he does when people are struggling with anxiety or depression is he challenges them to make a, a, a journal of gratitude. And it may not be a lot you write down every day, but just maybe three things every day that you're thankful for. And then the next day, write down three more things, different things that you're thankful for. A lot of times, if, if we challenge people to do it, you know, like at Thanksgiving, if you get together at Thanksgiving and, and some religious person in your circle says, hey, we should all thank God for something. And everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, we should thank God for something. And they'll kind of murmur and mumble. And, and so, okay, everybody say something as we go around. And everybody says the same three or four things. I uh, thank God for my family. And the next guy, yeah, what he said, that's why I do too. I thank God for my family. And Oh, yeah, I can't thank God enough for family. And then maybe one of the guys says, and yeah, I thank God for um, uh, that we're all here together. Oh, yeah, that's good. I will thank God for that too. And, and, and it doesn't really reveal, it's, it's easy, right? But if you try to write down three things every day and, and then three new things and then three new things, you're going to start splitting that, you're going to slice that meat a little thinner than that. It's not just being thankful for family, but I'm, I'm thankful for my wife because because she brings a joy to my life that I, I just wouldn't have any other way. I mean, I know how I am and how I see the world dark, and, and she doesn't do that. And so you start thinking about things that you're really thankful for. And there's something about it for my friend, the psychiatrist, that when people do that, it can bring them out of depression. It can bring them out of anxiety. So a couple things, like I said. First thing, got to know God. Try to, try to start reading and pray and start... Start on purpose, drawing close to him. But, but then second, this idea of a, of a journal, just keeping track of the things you're thankful for. I think that's a powerful tool if somebody wants to get better at this. And, the, and, then, and then last, um, remember to honor other people. You know, to, to, to really lift them up, especially those people who you are grateful for. Remember to, to honor them, to lift them up, to, 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 to let them know how much you appreciate them. There's a story with Jesus where he goes to a, he goes to a, a, a rich man's house, and he's, he's a rich, important man, and, uh, and he invites Jesus in, and, and, uh, and because he's a rich, important man, there's a lot of people watching. You know, there's, there's an era before air conditioning. There's no windows. People hang in the windows, listen to what the rich man's up to, especially if the rich man has an important guest. People would kind of hang around the edges and, and listen in, and, and, and Jesus is an important guest at this point. He's famous. 
And so the rich man has Jesus over, and there were certain things you were supposed to do. It, even in our culture, there's certain things you're supposed to do if you go to a guest house. Maybe if it's, if it's a certain kind of a dinner, you're supposed to bring some food, right? Or maybe you're supposed to dress a certain way, or, 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 or maybe, uh, depending on what culture it is, that you, you need to be on time, or, 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 or other cultures, it's, you know, you're not supposed to be, you, there's rules, right? You know what you're supposed to do. Well, there's rules in that culture, too. And normally, because it's a, it's a dirty, dusty area before air conditioning, uh, uh, when you came into the house, you'd have somebody there to wash people's feet. Everybody's walking around either barefoot or in sandals, and so you'd, you'd have somebody there to wash your feet. And if it was somebody important, you'd do it yourself. You would get down and wash their feet. At the very least, you'd have a bucket and some water there. At the very least, you'd have that. Um, and that's what everybody did. I mean, if you had a party, that's what you did. If you're a rich person, you for sure did it. And if you're having an important person over, then you for sure, for sure did it. Uh, because, again, it was kind of a smelly, dirty area. Uh, you'd have a little oil there where they could run it through their hair and kind of slick their hair down and make themselves presentable. It was just something that people did uh, in that time period. And, and, and you would greet people with a kiss. Now, if it was somebody like a close family member, you might kiss them on the cheek. Uh, but if it was somebody that, that you wanted to really show respect to, like somebody above you, like a, 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 you were a, a disciple to their teacher, you'd kiss them on the hand. You know, you'd put yourself a little, you wouldn't presume to kiss them on the cheek. You'd go down to their hand and you'd kiss them on the hand. When Judas kisses Jesus in the Garden of, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he almost certainly kisses him on the hand. All the artwork shows it on the cheek, but Judas probably wouldn't have been that presumptuous. He probably would have kissed Jesus on the hand and uh, to show his respect, right? And that's what, what people did. Uh, well, Jesus is invited and the host does none of those things. Now, he did it for everybody else. He doesn't do it for Jesus. He's... Uh, not respecting him. It, it would have that appearance. Everybody would have noticed it. But Jesus doesn't say anything. He just, sits, he just, he just gets down and starts to eat. And again, there's those low tables, you know, in that time period. He probably had his arm on the ground there and his feet are sticking out behind him and you'd eat with your, with your right hand and he's eating at the table and they're all talking. And uh, there's a woman on the edges. Like I said, there's guests on the edges of the, around the veranda there and they're listening to this stuff and, and she, she sees all this. And she sees Jesus disrespected, and he's affected her. I don't know if it was what Jesus was saying at this dinner that affects her, or maybe something that's happened before that dinner, but somehow or another, Jesus has, has gotten, and it's mentioned she's a prostitute, that she's the very lowest rung of, of, of society there. But Jesus has said something to her that no matter what you've done, God wants you to come home. And that's true today, by the way, for you too. No matter what you've done, God wants you to come home. It's never too late to come home. And so it affects her. And she's become a follower of Jesus. She, she, she's going now to wherever Jesus is. She wants to hear him talk. And now she's came to this man's house to listen to Jesus talk. And she sees how they treat him. And, and she's teary-eyed about either about that or about how much he's forgiven her. And, and so she kind of walks in to where they can all see her. And she's standing behind Jesus and she's crying. And again, remember, he's, he's got one arm down. His feet are sticking out there behind him and he's eating eating his food and and her tears are landing on his feet and so she gets down and she loosens her hair and she wipes the tears off she cleans his feet with her hair it's just hard to imagine a more humiliating posture for her to have and 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 she kisses his feet and then she she takes this bottle of perfume and as a prostitute probably again in, in an unhygienic era this is how she dealt with everything but she doesn't need this anymore all this perfume she's changed person and she pours it all out on Jesus' feet. 
And the host is offended. If Jesus knew what kind of man, what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And so Jesus has a conversation with the woman, with the, with the, with the rich man. He says, he says, let me ask you a question, Simon. Sure, Simon says. He says, uh, there was once a, 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 a loan shark who had money owed to him by two different people. One guy owed him $500, one guy owed him 50 But he decided to forgive both debts. Who do you think loves him more? And he said, well, I bet the guy who owed more money loves him more. And he said, well, I think that's probably right. He says, look at this woman. He says, he says, I came in here and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears. And you didn't give me any oil for my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. You wouldn't even kiss my hand. And she's kissing my feet. And I'm telling you, because, because she had many sins and because she shows this kind of big love, it's all forgiven. Because she shows gratitude. She, she realizes how it is. She realizes. She knows. You know, what, what Jim was talking about during communion, the person gets to the end of their life. Have I done enough? No, there's no way you could have done enough. Not when you realize how far away you were from God, but God loved you anyway. You didn't do enough, and God loved you anyway. And when, when that really sinks into your heart, I mean, I mean, how can you not want to say thank you to God? I mean, when you, re- when you really realize, I mean, after all I did, not only did he take me back in, you know, sometimes uh, you might run across somebody, uh, a couple, a boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, and, and they've been together a long time, and then the boyfriend kind of runs out and cheats on the girl, or the girl kind of runs out and cheats on the boy, and, and they have hard times, and so, will they get back together now? They're going to try to get back together, and so the boy tells the girl, you can come back, but you've got to crawl, or she tells him after he cheats, well, you can come back, but I'm never going to trust you again. You can come back, but you're going to be you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. And, and, and if anybody ever deserved that treatment, it was us. For Jesus to say, yeah, you can come back, but you're going to have to crawl. You're never going to be, I mean, you're, you're going to owe me every minute. And he doesn't do that. Wonder of wonders. You're, you're, you're baptized and you're washed clean and you walk out and you're, you're free. He says, look at this woman. She, she gets it. He tells the rich man, uh, she gets it, and, I, and by inference, you don't get it. So her sins are forgiven. And again, by inference, your sins aren't, because you have no gratitude. I don't know, when I was thinking about that this week, it really kind of smacked me around. God has been so good to us. We want to make sure that we tell God at every turn how grateful we are. So, if the band will come back up here, I'm going to pray with you. And if you need to make any sort of a decision about anything, this is your time. But I want to challenge you, for any of you who need to make a decision, again, just to say thank you to God. This is a great time to do that too. And you can come to the front, there will be people on both sides, and pray with them. And just, and just give God praise. For all the good things he's done. There will be somebody in the back and they'll have name tags and you can go find them if you need to pray about something. Maybe even go to a separate room where, where you can really just pray and have some privacy. They'll help you with that and, and, and help you to figure out what to do next there. Why don't you stand up? Let me pray with you. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this group and I pray for each one of them, God. If there's anybody here who needs to say something to you, give them the courage to do it. Whatever it is. 
And God, for those people who are sitting here and, and maybe, maybe the ones I need to say thank you to are sitting right there beside them. I pray, God, you give them the courage. It's a strange thing why it should be so hard to say what's on our heart. I pray, God, you give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.